Welcome to Electricians and Mad Men. I'm Ian Gorman. My guest today is Jen Shangra, Director of Recording Services at Michigan State University. Jen is an expert classical and jazz sound engineer who handles concert recordings and sessions in a number of performance spaces throughout MSU's campus. From jazz orchestras and chamber music in the 440-seat Fairchild Theater, to symphony orchestras in the 2400-seat Wharton Center, to the Spartan Marching Band playing halftime in the 75,000-seat Spartan Stadium, Jen is skilled at creating world-class recordings in a wide variety of scenarios, often on the fly and without a net. We talked in March 2018 in her control room and office in MSU School of Music. a video monitor going to one of the venues. Which venue is that that we're looking Cook at? Cook Recital right? Hall. Are you permanently wired into the others, or is it like a remote system that you bring, or how does that work? Uh, Heart Recital Hall, we also have a um, we have a Dante system running into there. And then in Fairchild, we are wired for sound in there. It's another location across campus. In the Wharton Center, we have, um, it's kind of a, a mixed system where we have They allow us to have a rack in there, and we have winches. We have to attach the microphones, bring them in and out every time. We usually hang a decatree system in there uh, for most of our recordings, although one of the ensembles we work with, we contract with, they only want space dominies. They kind of want a more streamlined look for what we do in there. And then the passant stage, um, which we work in infrequently, we have to bring everything in every time we do it. Mm You mentioned the deca tree, which is very interesting. You know, uh, it's a classic classical technique, and I know it's used a lot in scoring and that sort of thing as well. Uh, but for people listening that may not be aware, can you describe a little bit what a deca tree setup is? Sure. Uh, the main setup is three omnidirectional microphones kind of set up in a triangle. They hang over the conductor, so you have two flanking the conductor and then one Um, in front of the conductor, a little bit ahead of him. And so the left and right pick up your strings, and then the center microphone pick up your woodwinds a little bit. And then we also, um, in our setup, will flank that even further with another pair of omnis on either side to kind of give you a little bit more of the fullness and depth of the ensemble. Is it the kind of thing where there's like a set ratio between the mics, or is that the kind of thing that you alter in the mix? Yeah, it's it's there's a set ratio. I mean, our, our, um, our further uh, spaced omnis, we use... Um, we're kind of limited by um, the hall. Uh, our exact location is based on, I mean, it's not our space, so we have to use, um, we had to hang our, our decatree where they allowed us to hang the decatree. So it's not mm-hmm. the perfect location, but um, we have the, the West Dooley um, decatree. Hmm. Um, he sells the tree, so it's the, it's the um, I'm not sure the exact ratio off the top of my head, mm-hmm. um, sure. but that's... But there is a... Yeah, there's it. yeah. yeah. I would think that with live performances, you got to always keep in mind the visual when you're recording it. It's yeah. not just what's best for the audio. Especially right? since we're doing, we do video too. We do a lot of mm. live streaming of our performances. So, um, and with our orchestras in particular, our <laughs> our conductor um, drops the uh, string section. We have an outer lift, and he drops them about three to four feet down. And so then you have, um, and then the the very back of the orchestra is raised on a platform. So your percussionists and your very back horns are up high. So if you're not careful, you'll end up cutting off the top of everybody's heads with the decatree. <laughs> uh-huh. And he also, he's insistent on wanting as much string sound as possible because you end up with a, with a balance issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a fight of wanting to make sure you get that that close string sound and and and, and not lose, you know, not lose the strings and um, end up with way too much horns. 
So when you say live video streaming, uh, is that actually broadcast live online? Mm-hmm. How do you do yep. that? We use yeah, live stream is so, the. So you're also mixing that live yes. as it goes out. Yeah. And then we um, also do some of our, a number of our shows are broadcast on WKAR, which is our local mm-hmm. PBS mm-hmm. radio station. So that's wow. also a little bit <laughs> can be stressful. <laughs> sure. What what kind of crew do you have working those shows? Do you have an assistant or no. students helping or no. anything? No. It's me, and mm-hmm. it's our video engineer usually. Gotcha. He'll often mm-hmm. have a, an assistant because he's also live switching cameras, which um, is even more involved. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> he he has in the past run it himself, which I think is insane yeah. to try. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Neat. So we're a small crew, yeah. Do you have students working for you yes. at all in general? Yes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We couldn't do it without them. What what kind of things do you have them do help with setups and teardowns that sort of thing? Or? Yeah, and they also run shows too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will run. Um, it depends. I mean, we start kind of on a basic level. So we'll have, like, most of our events are, um, they're pretty basic. You know, they're stereo techniques where things are set up. I can set it up for them. They run in. They're kind of babysitting levels, making sure the performers are happy, maybe doing some small tweaking. Uh, heart is probably our easiest setup where the microphones are dead hung in an XY configuration, which is two microphones and a coincident pair um, just hung at 90 degrees. Um, we use a small diaphragm uh, Neumann pair of microphones, and those run up here. That's an easy room, really. You just turn equipment on, and then we have we have Grace preamps with a remote control mm-hmm. preamp there. So it's that's a nice setup. Mm-hmm. And then this room, all it really is is kind of turning on the um, getting the microphones into place. They're running through Millennia preamps up here, and um, with the bigger setups, there's a little bit more involved. Um, and we kind of train them as as they get along, making sure they understand the basic setups. The the bigger halls working in, um, in the Wharton Center where we do the decatry setups, it's only my more advanced students who I've you know worked with longer. Mm-hmm. The Fairchild Theater, which is where we do our big jazz setups, a lot of my students help me out with that. That's, that's a more involved setup with jazz. The orchestras, um, Rodney Whitaker, who is our um, our professor, the head of jazz studies, kind of does the. Um, uh, the Jazz at Lincoln Center model. So it's everybody's on a mic, wants the kids to get really comfortable using mic technique. And so we run, I think it's 24 channels live to front of house and I think up to 32 channels record. Wow. So we don't broadcast that live because that's yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit of a nightmare. That, that needs some mixing. <laughs> <It does. laughs> yeah. We have done a few things. Um, well, we've done octets or professors of jazz live for broadcast. And even that's really challenging just to kind of having that many live mics. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's kind of nice to have that sort of a challenge. Uh, but the students are great at kind of helping me out and making sure everything's mm-hmm. running. We've, we've got a crew of about uh, any time we've got 10 to 15 students doing audio and video work with us. Mm-hmm. Do you do any teaching of any classes or anything, or is it more it's, on the job It's teaching? more on the job, uh-huh. yeah. And I've done some internships here and there. Um, but less and less lately just because with the workload, we don't really have time for it. Right, right. So classical music, from my understanding, is is, it tends to want to be very pristine and untouched compared to a lot of other Mm -hmm. styles of music. Would you say that that's your experience with it? Somewhat. I mean, Mm -hmm. they want the cleanest, prettiest version of their style, of their their, their aesthetic. I mean, it's it's not... um, always the most honest, mm. like they, they still want it to be the prettiest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was recently at a, um, 
well, not super recently, but I was at, at AES conference once and I was listening to, now there's, there's not a lot of classical engineers there, but you mm-hmm. do run into them. And I was at a lecture where they're talking about recording a violinist with an orchestra and he was like not happy with the sound, not happy with the sound, not happy with the sound. And finally the engineer had soloed the, the solo violin mic. And he's like, that's it. That's the sound that I want. Uh-huh. And he was like, there's no orchestra. <laughs> what are you talking about? And for a violinist, the idea is like, you think about it when you're playing an instrument, you've got the instrument between your between your bones Mm -hmm. and so you're never going to be able to capture the sound of what a violinist hears right because that bone conduction like they don't ever hear the entire orchestra next to them Mm. so Mm -hmm. the idea of how you hear it as an instrumentalist versus how you hear it out in the hall is completely different so you're trying you always have to kind of marry that idea of like fooling that (laughs) fooling your your, the musician into thinking like this is this is not exactly that like your audience is going to hear it very differently from what you ever will Mm. Mm -hmm. so i mean it's it's a it's a balance Mm -hmm. um i work with a cellist who's who's whose instrument i love and um he always wants to have more because the sound that you hear, I'm a cellist too. So mm-hmm. the sound that you hear sitting with the instrument close to your body is much different than you're going to hear in the hall. Mm-hmm. So the microphones, we use stereo miking techniques, and it's much it's much further away. You get the distance sound. So I've, I have to work with him to get, you know, and with the kind of volume that we work with, we're not always able to do spot miking for every ensemble concert. So it's mm-hmm. kind of we refer to it as in the office as the the fuck it it's fine aesthetic uh-huh. of like you have to find with the volume you work at you always want to do the best job possible you want to like have for every event you do to set up all the microphones but you can't you just you you can't do that mm-hmm. so you try to find workarounds and try to find shortcuts to get the best possible thing mm-hmm. for everything do you find yourself having to move people around in their placement in the room and that sort of thing or do you try to keep that to their natural performance state it depends on the project. Um, since so much of what we do is live capture, we don't get that, that mm. option most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to get the best performance if they're most they're at their most comfortable. Like we're not we're not doing session work in general. We don't do a lot of that. Most of our stuff is is just like like performance. So it's just sure. sit where you want to. We'll work around you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't have we don't get rehearsal time because we just have too many events running, and I I'm paying students a pittance. Mm-hmm. To, to be there. So it's like, okay, well, let's try to get you, like, you know, it, your rehearsal's the night before. Am I going to pay students to be here the night before when you're not paying that much for this recital recording? So, you know, I mean, we've done things where we've slapped floor mics in place to, mm-hmm. like, kind of sneak it in, like, so the cellist wants a little bit more low end. Well, uh, I can use a floor mic to just kind of to fake it, to get uh-huh. a little bit more presence, not necessarily, because you're going to get the clarity from the Sheps mics I have hanging in the hall, mm-hmm. but I, you just want that bottom end, that warmth, so I can kind of trick you into hearing some of that sound there. Like a boundary mic or what mm-hmm. kind of thing? Yeah, we've done that in a couple yeah. situations. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think that that kind of just like in the moment, we got to go mentality. I mean, that's the way it is for a lot of audio professionals, mm-hmm. period. You know, uh, it's probably very good for a student to learn that. You mm-hmm. get to a you know a certain level of studio and you got to be ready to roll when the musician sits down mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I got to think that the live atmosphere is very good for that kind of instruction too, yeah. you know. Oh, one thing that I didn't, I forgot that we also do uh, that took over in the last three years. We have started doing audio and video for the Spartan Marching Band, which is uh, talk about a weird thing that I never thought I would do Mm -hmm. Um, because it's like I'm a classical engineer. I'm used to capturing audio 
indoors, right? You mm-hmm. you have an ensemble, like you have a decent sized ensemble, like, you know, symphony orchestra, even when you add choral, you're like at, you know, 200, 250, maybe up to 300. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can capture a large ensemble. Okay, we're going to be outside. Okay. Now they're going to all move on you. <laughs> and then you're going to be, yeah. so you're, you're in a space that you don't get to do rehearsals in because we're, you know, the stadium, we don't get to go in the day before. They're very, we use, we don't use artificial turf. We use natural grass and they're mm-hmm. very particular about it. They're like crazy about the grass mm. of all things. Who mm-hmm. knew? And um, then we have donors and donors don't like to see microphones. So we can't, we can't affix anything to the walls. We can't have, we can't, yeah. So we have to, everything we do is like, we ha, we can't have, it, it's nuts. So how do you do that? You, first of all, you, you record the marching band in the football stadium. Yes. Which makes sense. That's mm-hmm. their natural habitat. Yeah. Uh, well, how, how do you mic them? How do you approach that? <laughs> we ended up um, taking a, we, well, we use Zoom recorders. Um, we use things in it. We use a Zeppelin. And we have, um, we actually decided to go, we kind of, played with the idea of using high-end microphones or using cheaper microphones. Well, they have to be weathered. You know, it's, mm. we're, we're capturing whether it's snowing, whether it's raining, we're out there at halftime. Um, and so we went with cheaper microphones. Um, we worked in conjunction with um, John Whiting, who is the head of, um, he's a professor at um, Telecommunication Arts and Sciences. He used to be in this office. He was the, one, of the, one of the video engineers before he was tapped to be full-time professor over there. But he still works with our office in doing audio and video production for the band. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided to go with a three, um, what are they? They're small diaphragm uh, road microphones, mm-hmm. the small diaphragm ones. And we actually t- took the, um, it's, a, it's a shotgun mount that lives, so instead of having the shotgun mount turned this way, we made it into like a three-way split. So we have a center mic and then two kind of a modified ORTF. Mm -hmm. So they're split really wide and then they run into an H6. So so you gotta get out there in the middle of a game and record yeah. The marching band during halftime in the middle of madness. How, yeah. However many people the Spartan Stadium here holds. Yeah. And, it's nuts. Wow. It's so you, and it's it's crazy because you don't like you, halftime starts when it starts, right? So uh-huh. you're in you're you know, we're waiting and you can't cross the twenty yard line until the buzzer hits. So because <laughs> they don't they, nobody's in between the twenties besides the football team and staff. So you wait and then as the as they vacate, you run in, get into position, hold the microphone, and hit record and hold it. <laughs> And wow. capture it, and then get out of the way. Wow! And then we also then the band also turns and spins and faces the back side of the field. So we have an engineer on the back half of the field to capture that. Oh wow! Yeah. So so you are capturing it from two different angles since mm-hmm. the group moves, and then you have to just edit or mix that together mm-hmm. later in yeah. some way that's hopefully seamless. Yeah. And then we also have you know we're capturing video up on the sixth floor, and we had also tried capturing audio from the sixth floor, but you get so much crowd noise, and even just using we tried using shotgun mics, which we've tried capturing somewhere in the problem is where you'd want to ideally capture audio is where your donors are sitting, so it's not like you can say, mm-hmm. "Excuse me, madam donor, can you scoot out of the way for a little bit so we can <laughs> set up our microphones?" Uh-huh. Nobody wants to do that even for halftime right so. Wow, but that's been entertaining because I, I mean, yeah. you think you you know you're in this job for so long. It's like, what new can you do? Mm-hmm. How about record a marching band <laughs> outside? <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, with so much live recording, do you have a uh, backup recording system, or how do you deal with stability? Yeah, uh, we do backup. Uh, we back up to. We've got a, a Tascam recorder that we back up to. Mm-hmm. USB. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that having a uh, 
redundancies is very important with yeah. live. And then at the end of every recital, we back up to a server mm-hmm. just as a backup in case your hard drive fails. Mm-hmm. Sure. Knock on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Pro, Pro Tools has gotten so much more stable. I remember, I mean, God, when I first started recording, it's like, cross your fingers and hope everything's still working the next day. Right. <laughs> it's a different world. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the gear here. Uh, why, why don't you talk us through what you and I are talking through right now? What kind of signal chain we got? All right. Here? So we've got our U87s, mm-hmm. which is my favorite microphone. It's my favorite mm-hmm. of all the microphones. It's just mm-hmm. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It sounds great on everything. It's my favorite on, I mean, cellos, basses, stereo pairs, um, the human mm-hmm. voice. We use it a lot for voiceovers. Um, and then we are going in through my preamps. We've got uh, Millennia. We've got mil- the... So we've got two sets of eight-channel millennia, and then in our other venues, we have mostly Grace preamps. Mm-hmm. Um, over at Fairchild, we've got two sets of eight-channel Grace preamps, as well as two sets of um, True Systems, mm-hmm. their eight channels. And um, also at the Wharton Center, we've got another eight channels of Grace. And the thing I love the most about the Grace is that they've got two outputs, so it's very mm-hmm. easy to do backups. So mm-hmm. at the Wharton Center, we have um, our first dedicated set of outputs. They go directly into um, our recording device. So we have an, uh, a 24-channel Joko uh, hard disk recorder. And then the other outputs go into a mixer. And from there, we, we feed our live stream and broadcast. Mm-hmm. So it's two separate discrete outputs. So it's, it's nice to have the redundancy there as well. Mm-hmm. So then here, um, our outputs go directly into Pro Tools, where we're capturing. Um, and then we have a C24 control surface. And our Gen X, which are not on right now, because mm-hmm. sure, <laughs> but they look sweet. They look pretty. Yeah, with the, these U87s, is that what you usually use for the decatry? No, actually, we use M150s for the decatry. Mm. Yeah, the M150s are my other favorites, but mm-hmm. I mean, Omni's only—you can only do so much with Omni's. Right, right. <laughs> and then you, you mentioned uh, Neumann 184s as a. Mm-hmm. Uh, ORTF for spaced pair in some of your venues? There, yeah, right? we have them as ORTF in this room in the in Cook Recital Hall. We originally mm-hmm. had had these uh, U87s hanging in there, and the reason we moved to the uh, the KM84s um, actually was just a... Uh, <laughs> um, so the winches that are in there, since we operate in them so often, they get so much exercise. Uh, the U87s proved to be a little too heavy for that. Even though the operating, um, they should be within the operating um, usage of the the servo reeler system, it just it just ended up taxing it too much, mm-hmm. and so we ended up going with a lighter pair of microphones just mm-hmm. for use. I do like the sound of the U87s better than the KM184s in terms for classical music, but it just wasn't worth it. Yeah, well, you know, in in the real world, it's not always the uh, you don't always make your mic choices just based on sonic decisions. <laughs> Unfortunately, <but> yeah, <laughs> there's usually a lot of other things going on too. Yeah balance out. It's true. And in our other space, so in, in Fairchild, um, which is our other main uh, recording space, our other kind of star space, that was the other space that was renovated maybe three years ago now. Um, that space, we have a Sheps ORTF pair and also uh, another pair of outriggers to kind of fill in the space. We went with the Sheps pair as opposed to U87s because we have we don't have a winch system. We have a permanently hung mm-hmm. um, pair of microphones, and that was also for visual reasons. We do a lot of live streaming in the space, and just having these big honking silver microphones in the room, it just wouldn't right. have have the same aesthetic. 
Some of us would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and can you, I don't know if you'll be able to hear on the recording, but you can hear the trucks backing up. I can. Yeah. Which is one of the things we'll be avoiding in our new space uh-huh. when we have the renovation in our recording mixing room in the basement. Mm-hmm. But these Neumanns are picking that up beautifully. Yeah, I'm sure they are. It just sounds like the trucks are right in here with us. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, what kind of delivery formats are you doing these days? Like when, when you're recording uh, performances here, I mean, obviously there's the live streaming and mm-hmm. all of that, but if, if you're uh, getting into a student or a faculty member or something, what, what are you doing these days in the way of format? Students are still requesting CDs and DVDs, but they're also more and more requesting digital back, mm-hmm. di- digital files. So we'll do digital downloads, QuickTime files for video, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So it's it's for video files, we're more and more pushing them toward QuickTime files because why would you want a DVD if you can have the higher quality video? Mm-hmm. Another factor I, I would think is important for you here is long-term archiving. How do you approach that? Do you hang on to stuff here for the, for the long term? Yeah, or? we just mm-hmm. file it away on hard drives. We have mm-hmm. multiple hard drives. Mm-hmm. Piles and piles and piles <laughs> of hard drives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about jazz recording mm-hmm. here. Uh, the the groups here on campus are are, are, are you talking combos? You're talking big band? What what kind of? We both. Uh huh. We have octets and, and big bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The mm-hmm. the big bands are in Fairchild, so we'll still have mm-hmm. the ORTF pair and the outriggers, which I'll mix in depending. I mean, we'll end up with delay issues, so it ends up being kind of this thing of do I want to delay the microphones, or like how much do I mix in? When you're talking delay issues, you mean like a time of arrival yes. into the mic yes. kind of thing from yep. things that are far away. Uh, probably phase issues too, mm-hmm. I would assume, yeah. in that situation. Yeah, so it's a lot of cut up. So I, yeah. what I end up doing is anything that's, anybody that's off mic, that's all muted. Um, mm. when, and in an ideal world, everybody would be on a Neumann. Mm-hmm. Like everybody would be on a really high quality microphone, but we don't have budget for that. So uh-huh. everybody's on, you know, mid-level microphones, mm-hmm. which are still really nice and expensive microphones in terms of like what, I could afford for sure. out of my personal sure. pocket, but um, I one of the best lectures I attended when I was at AES, I listened to Leslie Ann Jones, who she's um, one of the lead sound engineers at Skywalker Sound, and um, I listened to her do a lecture on big band recording, and she talked about the difference between a good decent quality microphone and a really great microphone. And she said, when you're on, on a microphone, like right on it, doesn't really matter. Like if you're on a, you know, the main difference isn't, but where the main, the, the big difference between these microphones is your off access response. Mm. And so it's in, with a high quality microphone, what that, that off access response, it becomes the glue that pulls the microphones mm-hmm. together. So she doesn't like, on her big band recordings, she doesn't need to mute the, that, those microphones. Right. But with our stuff, because it's not the highest quality, you have to kind of cut that out because you end up with all of that, those weird kind of phase nastiness, tonal quality that just is mm-hmm. is really unattractive. So the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, that's how the hell they get away with that with uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center, because all those microphones are open. They don't have to really right. do that much work, because if you've looked at their list of what Jazz at Lincoln Center does, it's all, they're all Neumanns. They're mm-hmm. all like, I mean, yeah. everything on that stage is like ridiculously expensive. Yeah. They don't have gear budget issues there mm, so much. No. no. Have you had any work you've had to do to the acoustics of any of these spaces, or were you kind of hooked up with some beautiful... Both. Things. So like one of, so Heart Recital Hall, which is our room that's 
absolute shit. <laughs> like that's a really crappy space. And uh-huh. it's one of the rooms that's going to be completely just bulldozed in uh-huh. renovation. So that's the space that we use. Um, we use a, an XY pair because it's an ugly space. So I want to use, I want to minimize as many reflections as I can. I don't want, so that's um, like an ORTF pair kind of allows to, it, uh, it uses more of the acoustic space, right? And XY will kind of minimize some of that. Um, and you want to get as close as possible in an ugly space so that you want to get as close to your sound source, right? In in a space that has pretty nice reflections, you don't mind having that as much as possible. Like our, we, we lucked out in this space here that you can see Cook is gorgeous. It's not a perfect space, but it's far better than what it used to be. It was a cinder block construction. We had um, a low balcony that they completely gutted and removed. Um, Fairchild was another space that when they renovated it, prior to that, it had these kind of um, convex corners in the back, which, I mean, you know, con- anything that's, or, sorry, concave, it had those those um, rounded corners in the back, which meant you had this focusing geometry. So in different seats, you would have different sound. Mm. So depending on, I mean, your microphones, depending, like very little change in location would be drastically different sound. Um, and, and so that... And, audience members would have very drastically different sound locations. So nobody wanted to perform in there. Nobody wanted to listen to a concert in there. <laughs> and now that we've changed the um, changed the acoustics, it's a much easier mm. place to be in. Um, so we're lucky with good spaces. Mm. And like Dem Hall, the space that we, it's the, it's the, the Dem Hall ballroom is not a, an attractive space for jazz to be mm. in, but it's still one of those places that we're stuck being in. So we do... Um, we do close miking and we hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the things that my my video engineer friend was saying when we mixed it the last time, he's like, "It sounds too good when you pair it with the video, Jen. Like <laughs> you, you need to dial down the reverb. It looks a little. It doesn't. It doesn't match it. That's oh, that's part that's of the that's part of the danger too mm-hmm. when you're marrying with video. That's another thing I didn't really think about. Mm-hmm. I hadn't considered mm-hmm. when, now that we've moved toward doing that is that you have to be careful about matching. Right. That makes sense. If you're just doing the audio, you can make it sound like a huge hall or change the yeah. reverb or whatever you want. Yeah. Hmm. It's like, looks like a gym, sounds like a concert hall if we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. you, you mentioned earlier that you work with a good amount of student help and assistance on recordings. What are the kind of things that you look for from these students in the way of what they can bring that's going to make your life easier and make them more successful at getting into this? Oh, being able to read, like, um, like with, with jazz, that, that it's fantastic people to, like, look at, a, like, a, an input list and know what it means. Like, know what your microphones are, know what it means to have things plugged in where, know how to coil a cable. Mm. Anytime I see anybody wrapping a coil around their elbow, I just scream <laughs> internally. Uh-huh. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. Um, being able to anticipate needs. Um one of the things that I love about my student engineers is the ones who like can see, like can automatically look when I'm like, that aren't like, what, what can I do? What can I do? The ones who like know that shit needs to get done and like just start mm-hmm. doing it. Um, anticip- like that's just, that anticipatory attitude is great. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and I don't, I don't know where they learn it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, when I started at Western, I ended up kind of hanging out with IATSE crew and kind of working at Miller Auditorium. And it was just like, when shit needed to get done, like nobody was sweeping the floors. You grab a broom. Like mm-hmm. when cable's a mess on the floor, like you reach down and you look and you coil the stuff. Like if, if there's a knotted cable, you figure, you, you, you do the small things so that the engineer doesn't need to take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you tape cables down when it's ready. You kind of like 
those little things Mm -hmm. that's massively helpful like anticipating Mm -hmm. things before you're being asked that sort of stuff will make me hire you and call Mm -hmm. you back you're you're the first on my call list if Mm -hmm. i know that you're the one who's going to to do it um that that makes sense if you have to micromanage them it's really just given you more work to do and you want less work to do and i'm a parent so like i'm Uh already micromanaging at home (laughs) (laughs) which is i mean it's it's and so i I naturally do that and i i don't mind necessarily i don't mind bringing people up but it's like when you watch those students start to take that step like i don't i don't mind having to teach you but Mm -hmm. it's like when i'm answering the same questions over and over again it's when it starts to get frustrating Mm -hmm. i don't mind you asking me the questions like there is no there aren't any dumb questions except the question that's been asked eight times (laughs) right at that point i'm like you you need to start taking some initiative and i love that Mm -hmm. students who are willing to to take the risk of like problem solve you know that part of it too of like okay i don't understand why this isn't working let's you know i've had students who've called me and like okay this isn't working i've tried this this and this like the fact that you've tried these things mm-hmm. i appreciate don't wait till the last minute like you're on a gig i'm happy to help you out and walk you through it but mm-hmm. the fact that you're problem solving helps me out yeah well especially dealing with live recordings mm-hmm. you know you can't take a break and hunt something down mm-hmm. you got to solve that problem right now cuz the performance is happening yeah so it's probably very beneficial to find people that can think on their feet mm-hmm. and prioritize getting the job done. Yeah. And we yeah. streamline a lot of our stuff so that we can, you know, to, it's it's a lot of redundancies. It's a lot of, you know, like we try to like, we've got a C24 here. We've got a C24 at the other venue. Mm-hmm. I have training manuals, like all of our stuff. Like we have like simple walkthroughs, mm-hmm. like here is how you turn things on. Step one, you know, like it's as simple as possible. Yeah. Like I try to have this and I have them walk through it. Like I will sit here with them and walk them through step by step to make mm-hmm. sure they're comfortable with things. And it's, I want them to like take ownership too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the more they're in it, the more they kind of like, um, like I've had students like write their own manuals, like make sure the language, you're comfortable with the language. Make hmm. sure, like we had one who had like really sarcastic language for a while in it. And then one student came in and, he, and she's like, I don't like this. It feels like I'm being yelled at. And I'm like, rewrite <laughs> it, do it. Like, I don't I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in this uh, office. Yeah. So. Jen just showed a, a binder, a manual here that ha- that is laid out beautifully with pictures of the gear and descriptions of how to use it and everything. And that kind of thing seems invaluable for a student trying to get their head around the gear here. Very cool. Um, let's talk a, a minute about how you got into the audio world here. When I met you, uh, for anybody listening, Jen and I went to the same audio school at, at uh, Western Michigan with John Campos, who uh, there's another episode featuring John mm. Campos to check out. Uh, you, you were performing on cello at Western and working in the studio there. Was that your first uh, foray into audio at Western? No, no. I, so I... Um, Let's see. I started off. I was a cellist. I was at a, actually at a, um, a performing arts boarding school. I was at Interlochen Arts Academy for my last two mm. years of high, high school. I had fully intended on embarking upon a professional performance career. That was what I wanted to do with my life, and uh, it was a both a blessing and a curse to go to to that kind of a level that young. Um, it opened my eyes. I had no idea of the kind of the level. And it, it's kind of like deciding you're going to be an Olympic athlete um, when you've really only been to the YMCA, you know, and you kind of get mm-hmm. there and you're like, oh, 
like when you get to that kind of level and you're like that this is what it really means to be a performer at this level and so it kind of broke me and also opened me up into different ways and so I got there and I kind of like I went from being the best possible cellist in like the public school I was at to like sitting you know last stand and going this is what the real performance means and kind of so I, I kind of started off and we had um we had to do a community service. And so I ended up finding my way into um, into the theater. And so I, I was running lights for a, a dance show. And so I'm running follow spot. I'm up in the catwalks. And so you're on headsets. And I ended up, um, I'm running spotlight for the dance show. They're running, they're doing Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto was the music. And I'm listening to it. I'm up in the, and I'm feeling like, you know, this is 16-year-old Jen feeling like, oh, this is gorgeous music. And the audio engineer is on headset and he's like, oh, this classical shit sounds the same. And I was like, <laughs> you know, no sense of humor, Jen. And I'm like, oh, after the show, I like stormed up to him and I said, are you referring to classical music in general or, or just the classical era? And he was like, anything before Elvis. And I was like, what the hell is this? What? What? And so he and I struck up this friendship. And um, so my uh, the summer after I I graduated, um, he was like, "Why don't you work for me?" I was like, "All right." So I had no experience in audio, so I started hanging out and um, dubbing tapes. I'm that old, so that they they weren't they didn't have CDs, and they mm-hmm. were just duplicating tapes of the World Youth Symphony Orchestra. And I'd sit in this little windowless room, and I would dub tapes, and I would check it and listen to it, and make sure there's audio on it. And then I started hanging out at the broadcasts and kind of seeing what the engineers were doing and tagging along. And I kind of fell in love with it. I liked the idea of um, being involved in music in a different way. Um, I still, I was going to Western as a performance major, but I was kind of lost. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, I was still doing the seven hours a day in a practice room, but it wasn't. I was starting to realize that that wasn't where my heart was. It was just, I love chamber music, but performance was just, I mean, I have huge performance anxiety, like performing by myself. Like I'm actually thinking about it right now in my face. I don't know if you can't see it, but my face is getting red uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, like it just, it wasn't where my heart was. So um, when I got to Western, I found, um, found myself like, okay, I hung out with the audio engineers. I kind of dug that. So I found John Campos and I was like, I showed up in his office. I was like, hey, hey, um, can I hang out in the studio? Can I help you out? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, sure. Here's when we're, you know, do you know how to coil cables? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. So I showed up at a, at a gig and I just started just like running cables and just kind of staying quiet and staying in the background and just helping out. And I just kind of stayed, I just kept doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I got into 490, was it 496 or what was the first class? Two, 494 is the classroom. Okay. And 496 yep. was the first one in the studio. Yep. So I, I lucked, it was, it was, I remember Marcus Reynolds was the first person I knew who was taking the class and he had, he was in the class and he'd signed up for the next class because remember you couldn't get into it unless mm-hmm. like, cause it was so hard to get in, but it would fill up all the time. Right. So he had, he had signed up for the next class because he's like, if I don't, if I don't get into the, into 496, if I, if I don't get one of the grades that allow me into it, I'm going to sign up again, take mm-hmm. it again. But luckily he got in. He's like, okay, I'm going to drop it. And you sign up for it right away. Oh, so that's nice. how I got in. Like I was, I was a freshman and I got into uh-huh. the class. So you scammed your way into the I, audio absolutely. program. Absolutely. Hell right. yes. Nice. <laughs> so that's how I got into uh-huh. audio. Um, and then how I got into classical audio, because being a classical nerd, I was like, well, I continued working at Interlochen for the next couple summers, um, recording classical music. I did my internship 
with a gentleman named Kurt Wittig in Washington, D.C. So I took a semester off, worked out there, did audio with the Folger Consort, which is um, in the Folger Museum. They did um, period instruments. Mm. And then also worked with the what was then called the 20th Century Consort, who played, they played in the Hirshhorn Museum. So it was fun recording new music in a cool venue. Um, and then found out about this job and uh, was luckily hired right out of, out of college. Wow. Yeah. I did not think that would happen. I originally planned to stay three to five years and move on to, you know, Chicago, New York, L.A. Uh, I had no idea what a cush job university gigs are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I assumed that I would be the one, you know, kind of having, having to really hoof it and, and not have benefits. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it's a nice gig. Yeah, absolutely. It allows me to have kids, have yeah. a family. It's a rare thing to find an audio job with stability. Yeah. 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 And also, you know, the quality of music at a, a university with a good music program has yeah. got to be really inspirational. It is. Well, let's take a look at this recording that you brought to share with us today. John, tell us a little bit about what you got here. Sure. This was a session I did a few years ago with our cello professor. His name is Seren Bagratuni. And this is um, a new composition. I'm not super familiar with the composer. Last name is Altunian. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Um, It's a solo cello piece, and it's gorgeous. Um, I love recording solo cello. Obviously, being a cellist, I'm totally biased. Um, But this was recorded in our newly renovated hall in the Fairchild Theater. And uh, this was captured with a U87 on the cello, also mixed in that Shep's stereo pair, the ORTF pair, and the Shep's outriggers. And also further back in the hall, we had used, it was a pair of um, B&K 4006s. Um, you probably know them now as the DPA 4006s, mm-hmm. but these were these are an older pair. They were B&K, Brule and Kyer mics from way back when, when they were mm-hmm. called B&Ks. Great, well, let's take a listen.
Wow, that was just gorgeous. Thanks. Very, very nice. Uh, I love how it has this very strong character of the sense of space around it, but yet feels very present. You know, it's uh, right there in front of you, but it's got all this magic around it. It's really lovely. Thanks. Um, when you mix that sort of thing, do you do any kind of dynamics processing at all? Minimal, but uh-huh. yes, yes. Just touch of light compression, that sort of thing? Yep. or mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of, we're, we use mostly um, Waves plugins, mm-hmm. so a little bit of an L2 compressor. compressor. Mm-hmm. In the classical world, uh, my understanding is you're not as concerned with like the loudness wars and yes. the volume maximizing and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, classical music, musicians say that they don't want any compression, but they do. Like right. they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, no, 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 no. But then when you give them two examples, you'll say, what do you think of A? What do you think of B? And B has compression. They're like, oh, I like, I like B. Right. <laughs> so they are susceptible to <laughs> they, it. They want compression. They just don't know it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But you still want it to be subtle. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about this uh, renovation and expansion that is going to happen. What's the new spot going to be like for you here? So I am going to be moving to the basement, which <laughs> I laugh about. Like I am actually I was walking in there. They were having a, a meeting earlier today and uh, I was talking to one of the, the head construction reps and I was like, I'm so excited to move to the basement because right now this space, which if you look out, I have a lovely view of the courtyard and it's snowing and it's beautiful. But I hear leaf blowers and I mm-hmm. hear trucks backing up and it's very hard to do intense listening in this space. And um, now that I share a space with a video engineer, the two of us working in conjunction can be difficult and challenging. Um, so I'll, I'm they're renovating the basement um, percussion area. They'll be getting a new room up on the uh, the ground floor as part of the renovation. And I'll have a, I think it's about a 600 square foot space. It'll be um, surround surround sound capable room. We'll have all of our new spaces will run into that room. So we'll be capturing from the three new, there'll be both, rehearsal rooms and performance venues very cool well thank you so much for spending some time with me here today jen absolutely congrats on the uh renovation thanks ian for more on jen check out music.msu.edu slash recording dash services you've been listening to electricians and madmen today's interview was recorded at michigan state university in east lansing michigan Our featured recording was performed by Surin Bagratuni. Our theme music was written and performed by Brian Koenigsnecht. For show notes, links, and more episodes, visit electriciansandmadmen.com. I'm Ian Gorman of La Luna Recording and Sound. Thanks for listening.